0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Figured out what to do with this week, everybody. Good news for me. I don't know if it's good news for you. Some of you probably won't be as thrilled with the plan for this week, but honestly, I don't, not a whole lot I can do about it. Uh, We are waiting with bated breath. For Yahoo to bring us draft analysis, that is their ADP data, which is supposedly available nine days from today, next Wednesday. By the way, this is off-season episode 91. Crazy. Of Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. I am your host, Dan Bespris, at Dan DanBespris on Twitter. Hey, if you want to cover a team here at Sports Ethos, hit me up on Twitter. We... A bunch of you guys did. We might have a few new shows in the works by the end of the next couple of weeks. That's really cool. If you're feeling like being part of it, and you know, there's a team out there that you follow hyper religiously, your favorite team, whatever it is, the team that you live near, and you want to become a media professional about it, hit me up at Dan Vespris on Twitter, sportsethos.com, the website at Ethos Fantasy BK. Get a fantasy pass! We're only like two weeks from NBA stuff in it. It already has NFL goods, NFL rank board, the NBA draft guide coming soon here, later in August. Anyway, what I was saying, what I was saying before, is that while we wait on ADP data, with the aforementioned bated breath nine days from today, there isn't a whole lot left for us to do that makes sense. There are things we can do but not things I really want to do in mid-August for a number of reasons. First and foremost, things like second-year players. Very cool topic. Something that we should probably talk about on this podcast. But and with apologies to you diehards who've made this again the most listened to off-season in the history of fantasy NBA today by a ridiculous margin, That show is one I just want to do closer to the start of the season. It's as simple as that. That's a show I want to do closer to the start of the season because more people are piped in for it. I don't want to do that show now and then a month from now have people like, hey, what are you going to do? And I'll be like, oh, you got to go find a show from August. Doesn't make any sense. Same story with other stuff, mock drafts, things of that nature. I could do one right now, but really, what good is it going to do when Yahoo's going to muck up their numbers in the next week anyway? So we wait on this ADP data, and when it comes out, we can do the next pass on our bucket chart. We got all sorts of things we can dive into as soon as that piece comes out. They'll probably also have a rank adjustment at the same time. But the one thing we can do now that actually gives us a huge advantage and something that I don't want to wait until later to do is season win totals. And I know that I'm going to blast a number of you right out of this mix. I might lose some listeners this week. And for that, I apologize in advance. I would beg of you to come back. Uh, I guess it would be, like, next Tuesday, probably? Although something might come up. You know, who knows? So don't abandon things altogether. But... the next week, basically, we're going to be going division by division on the season NBA season win totals. And with sports betting becoming so much more prevalent and available, and we got a ballot measure coming up here in California to potentially legalize it, guessing good early results on that are why DraftKings stock is finally coming out of the tank, among other reasons, I suppose. But that's going to be really fun for people out here that haven't really wanted to deal with offshore books. And we've had okay experiences with them. We worked with MyBookie for a long time, and they had all those fantastic odds boosts. But at the end of the day, they're not really subject to rules. They can close out accounts. They can do weird stuff. I will say this. In MyBookie's defense, uh, we had a great relationship with them here at Sports Ethos, at HoopBall before it. I have no hard feelings with them. But they did close down my account at one point because they thought they saw suspicious activity. Do I look suspicious to you guys? The nice thing they did, however, which you could not get done 10 years ago, no, no chance, was that I was able to call customer service, and they told me how I could actually withdraw the funds in my account without accessing it. They are like, oh, you can send this information by email, blah, 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 and it worked. So, like, yeah, they closed me out, but they did let me withdraw in the process. But that's the kind of stuff that you don't have to worry about here. So as that type of thing shakes out, and a lot of states have it already, and even those of you that don't can access a place like a MyBookie or a BetUS or whatever those you know, whatever your offshore book de jour might be, season win totals are a really kind of relaxing way to dip your toe in sports betting. That's a weird way to phrase it. I know, but I mean what I, I picked that word very carefully because when you're when you're dealing with and it's it listen, it's why one of the reasons why I like full season fantasy so much is that the whims of one day don't impact typically your entire year. Sure you could find a game and be like, "Oh, that's the one that would have put us over the hump if we had an over." But you can usually do the same exercise with a team, and find the game that they won that they had no business winning, that would have pushed them back to the under. The season win total number does tend to level off, minus massive injury stuff. And you can try to handicap for that, but you can't get them all. So we're going to start in the Pacific Division. Oh, you know what? Before I even do that, I should let you guys in on uh, a little more. So some of you guys are, are familiar with the season-win-total world. But what this is, is that uh, odds makers, line-setters, put out a number around now, I think it came out last week, where they project how many wins every NBA team is going to have in a given season. Boston Celtics are the top of the heap at 55.5 at opening number. San Antonio Spurs and the Houston Rockets are tied at the bottom. 23 and a half wins apiece. That's the the number. And there's a lot that goes into the creation of those numbers. Most of it is based on what they actually believe a team is going to do. But then they also have to factor in betting trends because at the end of the day, odds makers typically like to split the take on any particular team. There are street corner books and small and medium-sized books that are fine with having uh, sort of a stake in a particular team, and, and individual games, it's very hard for odds makers to get it perfectly even to to split the take. But with something like season win totals, I think they can generally feel pretty good about it. Like that, you know, bookmakers, there isn't a massive incentive for bookmakers to favor one side or another. Yes, there are examples of it, because, you know, thousands of wagers get placed every single day. Tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands. And you'll have, sometimes you'll have a big book that just gets kind of caught with a lot of money on one side, so they have a rooting interest in a game. But for the most part, they're trying to split the money because then they just collect everybody's VIG and they don't care what else happens. The VIG being basically the price you're, pay- you're paying them to handle your wager. It's why it costs $11 to win 10 and it's why these season win totals are generally going to be $11 to win 10 So, assuming odds makers are looking to split the tickets that they bring in, these numbers are set with actual results in mind and then tweaked based on, you know, generally the, the, the phrase is how public is a team? How much is a team going to get money coming in on an over, typically, just because fans of that team want to bet that team to win. So the Lakers, the Celtics, the Warriors lately, these are clubs where you'll see a number that's just a tiny bit higher than it would have been in a vacuum. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through every single team, five teams a day, so one division per day, and I'll tell you why I favor one side or another. And if you want to get involved in it, have at it. I don't think we should bet all 30. I rarely do. We even last year where I I think I split it. I went 15 and 15 predicting all 30, which is the worst year I've had since I started doing this on the show. Still, the ones that I said were my favorites went something like four and one or five and two or something like that. I don't know the number in front of me, but I did say that the Boston Celtics and the Raptors going over were my two favorites. The Mavs going over was another favorite that nailed And then the Warriors going under was a very large miss. Um, But overall, like last year was uh, last year, my favorite plays were basically just a fade on teams that got whomped by injuries and COVID the year before because those things have a tendency to level off. I like to fade teams that are adding a high usage player because I believe it disrupts their offense and defense for the first two months of the year. I like to back teams that lose a key player and are not going into a full tank because teams like that tend to have a lot to prove. And then there's all sorts of other things that go into it. But let's just dive into the first one. We're going to work through each division from the team with the highest number in that division, win total, to the team with the lowest number. And again, the reason I really like this exercise is that There's so much that goes into it, and yes, it's annoying to have money tied up for an entire NBA season, but you don't have to worry that it's going to get won or lost on the whim of a particular free throw. Unless, I guess, it comes down to the very last day, but that just actually doesn't happen all that often. I feel like it keeps happening to us with the Detroit Pistons, but that might just be anecdotal. So the Phoenix Suns are the team in the Western Conference with the highest total this year. They're actually tied with the Clippers at 52 and a half, the... Three of the top five teams in season win totals are in the, Western, are in the Pacific Division, I should say, uh, with Phoenix, LA, and the Warriors. We'll start with the Suns. Season win total of 52 and a half, which, if you looked at it and thought, huh, you're not alone. Because the Phoenix Suns last year had 64 wins. A cool dozen, almost 11 and a half, higher than this number would indicate. A number like that should jump out at you and be alarming because it's basically odds makers saying, We don't believe the Suns can do it again. Now, if you look at the previous year, when Phoenix actually was pretty good, also, that was a 72 game season and they won 51 ball games. That was a 71% winning clip. This last year, Phoenix was excellent. Again, they won 78% of their regular season games. Either one of those marks would get them way over a 52.5 mark. So why, just ask yourself the question, why is the line set at 52.5? We can't tell you exactly here on August the 15th why a number is what it is. Sometimes numbers are just completely wrong. But this is not a... T- like, Odds makers are not just going to get a number one seed way off the mark. This is this is a story. This is a story and a number that Phoenix, outside of Deandre Ayton last year, I mean, Chris Paul missed a few ball games, but he ended up coming back really quickly. The Suns showed their depth. They showed their drive during the regular season, and I also think that they kind of showed a vulnerability in the playoffs that manifests itself in a regular season where maybe they're just not quite as laser-focused as they have been the last two regular seasons. How clutch have they been lately? Is there any bad blood between DeAndre Ayton and the rest of the team? Because it did seem like they were kind of ready to just let him go tooling off somewhere. How much better can Mikel Bridges get? I don't know. Does he finally miss some ball games? Devin Booker, Chris Paul, are they finally a little bit out of gas? Chris Paul in particular, he's getting older. You guys know I love me some CP3. But this is a line that tells me a story. And the story the line tells me is that oddsmakers don't have confidence the Suns can get anywhere near where they were this last season, that they're going to lose a lot of the really tight games that they won this last year, largely because Chris Paul was so prolific in the fourth quarter this last season. Is he going to miss a couple extra ball games? I don't know. I mean, he ended up missing 17 this last year, but they found ways anyway. Sometimes a team just gets going, and there's no stopping them. So I expect poorer health for Phoenix. I expect them to treat this regular season a little bit differently than they have the last couple. I don't think they go 32-9 and nine on the road again this coming season. You'll see some critical player... Missed for two months or whatever it is. And so then they'll roll in right around that 52. But look, they're not going to pick that number unless there's a whole lot of doubt. And it's weird to have that much doubt in a team that's been playing this well. I like the under on Phoenix. That's the direction I would go. I'm not hyper confident in it. But that's your first play or your first breakdown of this week. The Clippers at 52.5 have the same number. And this is a tough one for me because... With even the reasonable health that we're hoping the Clippers have, they should blitz past this number. But, you know, it has that, it it screams of, hey, this is another team that's going to be dealing with a whole bunch of injury stuff. I mean, we're talking about a Clippers team that won 42 games last year, basically without Paul George and completely without Kawhi Leonard. Paul George missed 51 of their games last season. So they're adding Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and John Wall, basically, to a team that won 41 games last year. 42 games, excuse me. I just I don't so many things would have to go wrong in the regular season for the Clippers not to be getting near this number. But then you kind of have to remember: the Warriors, the Grizzlies, the Suns, those are the only Western Conference teams that cleared 52 and a half wins last year. And the Heat were the only Eastern Conference team that cleared 52 and a half wins. It's hard to get up to that uppermost echelon. Kawhi's going to miss 20-plus games. Paul George is probably going to miss 21 games or 20-plus games. John Wall's not going to play every day, and it doesn't really matter even if he did. The Clippers are so deep, though, that it's, just, it's hard to see them screwing it up enough to not be in the low 50s coming down the stretch. And then you're looking at it like, all right, well, at that point, should they play for home court advantage? Will they throw a couple games down the stretch so that they stick at like 52? I mean, if they're at 52 and 54 might get them home court in an extra round of the playoffs, wouldn't they go for it? I lean to the over with the Clippers, uh, but health is the reason that I'm a little bit afraid of this one. So Clippers to the over, shorter breakdown. Warriors, 51 and a half, which again should give you a certain measure of pause. Warriors got 53 wins this last year, which by the way included winning their last five games in a row. So they kind of barely got to that mark, but they were fighting to stay in front of the Mavericks because they didn't want to get into the Suns bracket early, and they did a good job of that. They may manage to stay out of it in the three seed. But here's the, th- the thing about the Warriors. This is a mental break year again for them. I mean, you can try to convince me that Steph and Draymond in particular, forget Clay, forget Jordan Poole, who's younger, Wiggins, who, I don't know. Actually, you could probably lump him in with Steph and Dray. This is a team that silenced all the doubters this last year. They did it without Durant which is a little bit dumb because they did it before Durant also. But everybody's like, oh, well, Warriors, they got all those championships because KD just joined them. Uh, Salary cap jump created one of the most ridiculous super teams of of all time. KD left. Warriors went through a a long kind of, not a rebuild, because they had all the same guys, but kind of a long nap. It was like a a two-and-a-half-year nap. And then Draymond came out angry and Steph came out angry and Clay came back partway through the year and Poole emerged as an excellent young basketball player and the Warriors said look this is this is our run we're getting older we got one more good one in the tank let's do it and they were playing a great regular season and then Draymond got hurt and missed like the middle two months of the year and then Steph got hurt and missed a bunch of time and then they won the title anyway this is a team that is old this is a team that is tired This is a team that has proven itself in a way where a regular season could not possibly mean much less, provided they get to the playoffs. I'm sure they'd like to get to the playoffs and, you know, give it the old college try. I just don't know. Like, I know NBA players, certain breeds of them in particular, like Kobe being one, they just have a certain extra threshold of desire that someone like me could never understand but I think we've seen it from the like kind of two and a half year break for the Warriors that they were just like, look, you know, we didn't have Clay, so meh. It's a Simpsons, meh, M-E-H. They mehed their way through two years, came back, threw their best haymaker, it hit, it landed, and now you know they'll be fine. You think they care if they win a whole bunch of games this year? Nah. I like the Warriors under, and I like it a pretty good amount because I think Steph misses some time. you got a nice finals hangover here. Draymond's going to miss some time. He's not going to be the Dre we saw this season that was so laser-focused when he was on the court. I mean, that was about as smart basketball as we've seen Draymond play in many years. I know he had some bad games in the finals, but then he kind of got it turned around as well. Nah. Nah. I do think there's some value on the fantasy side with someone like a Clay Thompson... Uh, but just overall, from a just a team storyline, the Warriors, to me, are very much the I'm getting too old for this, you know what, under. And I like that one actually a decent amount. Lakers' line is set at 45.5 right now, and the best thing I can tell you with the Lakers is to go for an arbitrage. And to those that are not familiar with the term arbitrage or the term middling a number, which we have talked about in this pod before, to middle... In sports betting is to try to play both sides of a wager such that there are a series of numbers where you could win both bets, but no numbers where you could lose more than your one dollar, basically one chalk. And I think the Lakers might be that. What you're betting on here, by the way, the first thing you should know is at 45 and a half, you bet the Lakers over. Not because you think they're going to go over 45 and a half, but because in any trade scenario that the Lakers make, that number probably goes up. Now, I do believe that some Lakers trade rumor is already built into that number, and certainly the fact the Lakers are a public team is already built into that number. I don't actually like the Lakers to go over 45 and a half as their roster is currently constructed. If they don't make a trade... I would almost definitely buy off of this wager. But I also think there's about a 75% chance the Lakers make a trade. I think they know they can't go into this. They just can't waste a year with Russ. Trade your picks. Go get Kyrie Irving. He'll re-sign with you. The rumors are all out there that he wants to play with LeBron and he'd re-sign in LA. If you give him a good experience, he'd re-sign. Or, you know, I actually really like the indie package. Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, that's a great couple of fits. Big man that can space the floor. Excellent wing shooter. Either way, those two in particular, and then sort of a featuring Utah Jazz package of someone like a Pat Beverly, Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, those guys would make the the Lakers better as well. Much better fits. Anybody on any of those trades is a better fit than Russell Westbrook on this team. The only trade I really don't like is what if they get some crap from the New York Knicks, like Cam Reddish. Sorry, Cam Reddish. You're just not going to make the Lakers win total really different at all, in my eyes. Lakers would have to get some young guys from the Knicks in that spot. I, I don't know what the hell the point of that would be. But anyway, those are the four teams I think we've heard linked so far. Spurs also been linked, but sounds like they'd mostly just be for taking on salary, and it's not like they have a bunch of veteran like Doug McDermott. No. Point is, if the Lakers pull the trigger on a trade for Kyrie or a Pacer package or a Jazz package, that 45.5 number probably goes up. If it's Kyrie, it probably goes up by three or four wins. If it's the Pacers package, it probably goes up by like one or two. And if it's the Jazz package, I don't know if it changes at all. But the point is, when it goes up, you bet the under. You create a 45 and a half, something window, where if the Lakers then finish at, say, 47 wins this year, they go 47 and 25, you could win both bets. Again, if the Lakers don't make a trade, get the hell off of an over 45.5 because as they're currently built, they are not a a 45.5 or higher win basketball team because Russ is a disaster. No one has aged less gracefully in recent memory in the NBA. Uh, And LeBron and AD having to play with Russ again, they will probably prefer to be hurt at some point during the year. And finally, this one I actually really like a lot, Makes me want to just, like, mash my head against a very jagged stretch of pavement. But I like the over for the Sacramento Kings. I bet the Kings under every year that Luke Walton has been the coach out there. After watching him coach the Lakers, there was no doubt in my mind he would take a wet dump all over whatever the Kings might be able to do. And he just... Did it over and over and over again. Just wet dump after wet dump. Luke Walton effect. Garbage head coach. Maybe he'll be better again as an assistant, but garbage head coach. The Kings sat their best players down the stretch. Nosed them Sabonis for the last, whatever it was, week or two. Darren Fox sat for a bunch of games down the stretch. And yet, despite all of the terrible coaching decisions under Luke Walton... And despite tanking at the end of the year and despite misfiring on rotations and Rashawn Holmes having, we, we still don't really know what the hell happened to him, but then he got completely iced out after the trade. Sabonis, so uh, what did he, how many games did he miss for the Kings? I don't even remember. Uh, De'Aaron Fox only played 59 out of 82 games last season. Despite all of that, Despite all of that, the Kings still got to 30 wins last year. It almost feels unbelievable that they got to 30. And this number that we're trying to get to this season is 32 and a half. Can the Kings get three more wins? Absolutely. To me, the Kings are much closer to a 35 or 36 win team this season for a number of reasons. One, I like the coaching staff they've assembled. I have confidence in them in a way that I never would under Luke Walden. Are they the best coaching staff in the league? No. But are they a coaching staff that's not going to give three or four wins away over the course of a year? Yeah, probably. Call them neutral. Even that is a big upgrade. Are they better with Demonis Sabonis at the core than they were with Tyrese Halliburton? As much as I love Tyrese Halliburton, the answer is actually yes. In the short term, This makes the Kings a team that can win a few extra ballgames. Two, three years from now, that probably flips maybe even a little bit sooner than that. Maybe only one and a half years from now, Halliburton's going to be great. I don't like the trade from a team-building standpoint, but from a a do-we-want-to-compete-to-get-the-number-9-or-10-spot-in-a-play-in-tournament-in-2022-2023, then yes, it actually does make sense. I like the signings the Kings have made. I think Malik Monk is a nice addition. They're a team that is leaning into an identity as a running, offensive-minded basketball team. They're not going to do the Luke Walton crap, which was, we need to slow our game down and try to win in the half court. They're not. They're not going to be better than almost any team they play on defense, but they can out-offense teams, and they're finally doing that. It's a little bit reminiscent of the first half under Dave Yeager in his final season when they ran, 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 And then they started to slow it down, and teams started to figure them out a little bit, and they struggled, and then Jaeger got let go. (laughs) So dumb. Oh, by the way, we're just going to take this completely failed-out Lakers coach. (laughs) Unbelievable. And if that wasn't enough to get you on board with my Kings over, desire, desire. I think of the Pablo Francisco uh movie guy voice bit again d- romance desire. desire desire the kings have desire they so badly want to make the playoffs they want to make the playoffs more than anything in the world i've seen the fan base i know what the storyline is for this team and i get it they haven't been to the playoffs in a million years they will do anything The Spurs were the 10 seed this last season. If 34 wins, I think it'll take a few more than that this year. But the Kings, they're going to be fighting until the last week of the regular season. They're they're not going to sit their guys until they're fully 100% eliminated from playoff contention, which means we don't have to worry about rest days down the stretch. They're going to play some teams that are resting stars and get freebie wins the last two weeks of the year. And I think the Kings get up to 35-36 wins. They're one of my favorite overplays on the board. I can't believe I'm saying that about Sacramento. But I like them a lot this year. The West is very, very deep. Do they make the playoffs? I don't know. But damn it, they want to try. And that's your Pacific Division breakdown here on this Monday edition. Fantasy NBA Today offseason show number 91. I don't know if you guys can tell. I'm actually... This stuff gets me super excited because I don't get to do it all that often. It's just five, six shows every year. Love it. Come along. Come along. Don't place any bets as we're going through them right now because at the end, I'll let you guys know which ones are my favorite, but I I mean, already I told you here, I love the Warriors under and I love the Kings over. That's probably... I mean, Kings over has a chance to be my biggest play of the year. We'll see. We'll go through all the others. We'll think it through. We'll make sure we're not missing anything obvious, but... That's where we're at. Dan Vespers here. Hello. Goodbye. Fantasy NBA today in the books on this lovely Monday. Uh, hey, good luck at school. A lot of kids start in school today, or maybe did late last week. Mine started this morning. It's insanity. Kindergarten. How the hell did that happen? All right. Enough silly life stuff. We can talk about that on Twitter at Dan Vespers. Again, hit me up if you want to join the fray, cover a team. We're looking for MLB and NFL folks as well. We also still have about a third of the NBA that is not covered here at Sports Ethos. Talk to you guys soon. So long, everybody.